listening to another episode of Grace Matters, conversations establishing believers in the truth. Today's episode is the last conversation in a series of follow-up episodes after our panel discussion on the Christian and mental health. If you haven't listened to that panel discussion, definitely jump back and do that, and I'll probably say that in the course of this recording as well. But if you haven't listened yet, listen to the panel and hear the interaction on what it means to be a biblical counselor, a marriage and family therapist, and a clinical psychologist. We're grateful to have all of those folks as members at Grace Community Church. Ben McGuire represented the biblical counseling perspective, and I had a follow-up episode with Dr. Dan Clement. Jamie Criswell is a marriage and family therapist, and she had a follow-up conversation with me. And this final episode today is with Dr. David Dermott, who sat in on the panel as a clinical psychologist. Today, we'll get to talk a little bit more about what that means and how he functions in that role as a Christian. All right, so I'm here virtually with Dr. David Dermott. Um, We are a little overdue to get together, but as many of you could guess, with uh, quarantine and social distancing that we've been navigating for the last month, um, it's made it a little difficult. So uh, David and I are meeting virtually, and I'll clean this audio up as well as I can as we put this out uh, for the podcast. The most recent Grace Matters meeting that we had a month ago, or a little over a month ago now, was uh, regarding the Christian and mental health. And so David was one member of a panel with uh, Jamie Criswell and Ben McGuire as well. And we unfortunately did not have enough time to get to all the the wonderful stories, the meaningful encounters, and even some of the more detailed definitions that we would have liked to. So that's why I'm following up again here with David. I followed up with Jamie for the uh, last podcast so you can find. Uh, but today I wanted to follow up with David because as you could tell from the panel, if you haven't listened to that, go back and listen to that. But as you could tell from the panel, David has a wealth of experience and lots of uh, perspective in all the folks that he has served over the years. And so I wanted to tease out some of those stories and then also kind of clarify some more things. So David, one of the things that we kind of got caught off guard with and kind of, I'm ashamed of this, is defining the term mental health. So now that we've had some time away from the panel, what do you think you, how would you define mental health? Yeah. And thank you for having me, David. Again, it's always a pleasure and I love the opportunity to speak um, as many people as I can and on something that is so important to me. Um, But mental health, you know, we have so many people defining it that it begins to be sort of defined by who's, who you're talking to. Right. Yep. So obviously we have two words there, mental and health. We, we know what health means, right? That, that we, we live with awareness of what's best for us. Um, we take care of ourselves. We, um, um, we, we, we cater to the health needs of our families and of our, uh, our, our own, uh, own bodies and our spirit and our psyches. And, but we're talking about mental health here. Yeah. So, it depends on who is answering the question, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so um, the formal definition would would require some aspect of well, mental health as opposed of opposed to uh, physicality and spirituality would mean that our thoughts, our behaviors, our feelings, 
um, are integrated in a, in a manner that is um, uh, healthy for us, that we are able to enjoy learning and relationships and, um, you know, living in a world uh, with other people and socializing that is healthy for us. And of yeah. course, when you when we say mental health, then you begin to say, okay, well, the other side of the coin, you know, what is mental illness? You know? Right. And right. so that can lead down the road uh, to all kind of different things. And if yeah. you think about it, uh, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Illness, you know, um, 70 years ago had fewer than half of the mental illnesses that we sort of define now in, in mm. uh, this, you know, a further version of that same book. Um, and that That's is our, our guide as, as you know, physicians and mental health professionals in treating mental illnesses. So did these actually come up anew during this 70-year period of time? Or has our position in our society uh, morphed and changed in a manner that makes these now hmm. illnesses, you see? Yeah. Um, there's a couple of examples of, of several that we might say, yeah, in fact, our changing society has created yeah. um, mental illness. You know? Yeah, there's, there's, and we'll get to this in a little bit, but there's no telling the kinds of um, mental health issues that will emerge from the COVID-19 epidemic. Oh, uh, there's that, that'll be really interesting to see over the next several years, how these things uh, manifest in folks who are uh, living through this moment. Absolutely. Um, I really love how you, you said integrated that the that mental health is an experience of uh, emotional, spiritual, uh, psychological, physical, and integration of health and wholeness. Um, and then you mentioned several like categories of being. And so that made me think about another thing that came up through the course of our panel discussion and came up again when I spoke with Dr. Dan Clement. Uh, in one of our supplemental podcasts, is this idea of a biblical anthropology. What does it mean to be human um, according to the scripture? And so, um, you know, Dan mentioned a couple ways of looking at it. Uh, Jamie and I talked a little bit about this, but I think it has an, an immediate bearing on, as pastors, what we recommend for, for believers when they're trying to be healthy. It depends on what we, what we understand uh, being fully human to be. So how do you, how do you feel about a biblical anthropology? How would you articulate that? Mm -hmm. Well, of course, you know, you have the ideas of biblical and anthro. Of course, the anthropology yep. section is, uh, is the study of mankind, you know, right. The biblical part is pertaining to our Christian beliefs and of course, referencing our Bible. So biblical anthropology is the dance between these two orientations. Yeah. And, um, and towards that whole idea of the origin of man, you know, you have the idea of evolution, right? Which is the, one of the big things that we're, we all talk about. And, of course, the evolution, you know, you've, you're based on naturalism. And, and it, it actually precludes any supernatural intervention by God. Right. Um, they believe that spontaneous generation, you know, started all of this, right? Yeah. As a Christian, I can't go there. You know, I can't yeah. fully go there. But yet, there is evidence of uh, evolutionary aspects in, yeah. in the world. Then you've got the theistic evolution. And it's the naturalism 
and limited supernatural intervention, you know, by God. And I'm still not completely there. All right. It doesn't yet contain what I need. Um, And then you have creationism, of course. All these are uh, related to what we're talking about. And the idea that man is created by God, right? That true science and, um, uh, in my opinion and the opinion of many others, support biblical revelation. Mm-hmm. And within the creationism, you have adaptations, all right? Not creations of things just spontaneously from science, but within what God created following that, you have adaptations such as is apparent, for example, on the Galapagos Islands. Uh, the yeah. tortoises there, you know, the, the islands there were not always islands. They were, um, they were connected, you know, the waters yeah. rose made them islands and these these poor families of tortoises became separated right yep. the same genetic materials the same tortoises you know the giant ones you see on tv yeah and um um over time though those tortoises had to change and adapt because the foliage that they had to eat to survive um were different on their islands on yep. one island they had to reach upward towards the trees to eat. And over millions of years, their necks grew longer, (laughs) Mm -hmm. right? But yet their brothers with the same genetics that you could see on the next island had shorter necks up to half as short, right? And so we do know that, you know, under this creationism, that change is still possible. And change is certainly um, one big theme of the Bible, you know, um, but the whole idea of, um, you know, evolution where there's just something that clicks and then spontaneously happens without a God, um, it's very difficult um, to go there. You know, in Genesis, Adam and Eve, um, you know, we came from nothing. Um, there has never been any evidence that science by itself can do that. The a whole idea of something from nothing, right? Yeah. So I believe that science is a study of God's creative universe. Yeah. You can call it what you want, but isn't that <laughs> what it comes down to? Yeah. You know, well, I think wish, that. Yeah. Some wish the, to exclude God as creator from the equation. Right. And, and wonder yeah. why they don't get it though, right? Yeah. Um, um, the fact that uh, we're both uh, embodied and we are spirit. That's and right. you can't you can't reduce to either. I think mm-hmm. is a really key factor that you've touched on. That um, yes, we have bodies that are affected by circumstance and by nature around us, but we are we are created by a by God, uh, and yep. we have elements of who we are, who are, are in our being that are intangible, uh, even though we also have this tangible uh, body, and we and. That's, I think, a, a trick for a trick, but a difficult thing to navigate for some folks is to realize that a biblical perspective on what it means to be human is both spiritual and physical, and they're irreducible. Um, like we we are necessarily connected, and because of that, then has impact on what it means to be healthy. And yeah. we can't separate out and only have a spiritual health without considering the impact on our bodies, and we can't have a physical health and separate out the spiritual and yeah. they're both both and uh, to be a human we have a tendency to reduce things down yeah. to 
smaller elements so that we can try to uh, you know, understand them. And we think that when we do that, we see the truth. And when we do that, we destroy the truth. Um, yeah. You know, of course, in the, in the Bible talked about, um, you know, false knowledge, you know, biblically, um, you know, false quote worship, you know, in Romans, you know, uh, it says when man denies the creator, he turns to false worship. You know, it's yes. deceptive, it's persuasive, but it's decep- deceptive. In Timothy, the believer is not to wonder from the truth of the scriptures, especially by what is falsely called knowledge, right? Yes. And so we have a tendency to trust our intellect, you know, because we think that, you know, we know, right, by our experiences and what, right. what we've learned from our world. And we tend to try to apply that in some huge general ways. and. And I think that the whole idea of evolution can come from that. But yeah. uh, um, I'm no kin to the monkey, all right? Yeah. <laughs> My wife would disagree because I, um, I actually proposed to her in a gorilla costume. <laughs> <laughs> anytime she used to be talking about monkeys, if she was in the room, she would give me that look like, well, some of us aren't kin to the monkeys, David. But yeah, <laughs> but yeah there's not a firm... Um, connection you know you see that that infamous drawing of um monkey you know ape and then Mm -hmm. he stands up and little bit yeah yeah that is not founded on strong scientific knowledge that is still a theory yes theory and we have to be very very careful about it the whole fact is that god created everything that came into existence from nothing science is just a view of that process, in my opinion. I think it's uh, it's really helpful to hear this perspective from a psychologist. So for those who are listening, maybe you jumped straight to this episode and, and didn't listen to the panel yet or haven't listened to what we've been doing. Uh, but David is a clinical psychologist. And so having this undergirding understanding of, of what he means when he, when, he, when he talks about humanity and about people I think is is really fascinating um, as we get to the nitty gritty of um, what he does as a psychologist. Um, one of the other things we brought up in the panel that you can uh, listen back to is this idea of the unfortunate stigma that surrounds just having conversations in some cases about mental health. And it, it appears that the stigma is is softening some, is changing some in our current moment, but uh, there still tends to be uh, I guess a difficulty in some in some cases, and in, in believers acknowledging that they may need help. Um, so, what are some things that you think we could be doing better within the church, um, the church global and the church local, uh, to help reduce and remove stigma? Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to go into that if I could. I wanted to say one last thing that oh sure maybe tie into what we'll talk about later on. The whole idea that you know God is the only creator of things. Yeah you know, have come into existence from nothing. And the whole idea that, that I want to stress with that is that, you know, we only mar the image of God by our sin. Mm. Uh, but when we become a believer, we become a new creature. Yeah. Right? In the same manner that he created everything from the beginning, God begins to renew the image of God within us when we become the believer. Um, and he uses all things in every situation to accomplish that. And I absolutely believe that 
through my experience in therapy with people that he uses me and David, he uses you and um, um, he uses everything that he's got around him and around us to take us towards that change. And yeah. so how we uh, come to be human, how we come to change on, on this planet, it is an important thing to know about that, you know, that anthropologic, biblical anthropology. When yeah. you really look at how we change, and even though we were created, um, and even though we exist uh, among the world here, that there's plenty of efforts for change, even to the point where we can become new, you know? Yeah. You're a believer. And I'm sorry to uh, delay. As far as stigma, it goes, um, you know, there's, you know, stigma is when we have a feeling, whether it's um, applied towards us or if it comes from our own judgment about how our world is treating us, that um, uh, we're led to believe um, that because we might have a mental illness, that we are in some manner less than others that we are to be avoided um, mm. or that there's something wrong with us or that we're bad or we're evil. Um, you know, and so I could give you a list of things to do and a list of things not to try to do um, to, to manage this whole idea of stigma. But um, I think that the things that we need to do are related to these. Um, try on your own, not to equate yourself or others with the illness that we may or may not have. We are There's not that reducing that you were talking about too. Like if we reduce ourselves to the illness only. Yeah. Right. Because when you reduce it, you lose the whole, you know, the, yep. the whole, the whole piece of that. Um, and of course, um, uh, that's sometimes hard to do. We're humans and we're going to be very vulnerable to what we hear other people talking about, especially children. And there's very, very many studies earlier on in, in the world of psychology long ago before we even had enough um, guidelines and rules about ethics and consent and things like that. There were studies done with very young people, um, even by kindergarten teachers. And there's a famous study about this where a kindergarten a teacher um, um, following the Vietnam stuff in the 60s um, led children to believe that the color of their eyes um, led to what kind of person that person really was, a good or bad one. And mm. so she said, today, children, you need to understand that blue-eyed children, um, they're much smarter in every way. They're stronger. Um, they look better. Um, and you could just see the brown-eyed kids um, uh, in the classroom just put their head on their table. They believe wow. it. And so kids uh, today, uh, the blue-eyed kids get to stand in line at the water faucet first. They get to eat first. They get to sit up front. Within a moment's time, she had created a stigma. Yeah. And you couldn't do that now. You wouldn't be allowed to. Your investigational review board that governs how studies are done would never permit that. It would be abusive. But yet we learn from... Um, you know, some things in our past that maybe we wouldn't do now, yet really yield, um, you know, some insight into the human psyche. Yeah. Um, other things to do and not to do, um, of course, give and get support. You know, yeah. don't isolate yourself. Of course, it's, it's important in today's world with the COVID-19. Uh, you know, reach out to others. Um, 
Um, and also don't see mental illness as a sign of a personal weakness. You know, we use these words, um, I try not to, but crazy, nuts, bonkers, you know, yeah. cute ones like one French fry short of a Happy Meal. You know, these things, although they're funny and part of our general, you know, language, are very mm-hmm. derogatory. And um, if you're in the midst of somebody who truly is suffering in some manner, um, and you use one of those words, you can imagine you're going to be just like that kindergartner in that yeah. class. You know, by the way, uh, the next day, the kindergartner teacher said, oh, children, I've made a huge mistake. Um, I was so wrong. Um, it's really the brown-eyed kids that are smarter in every way. And she flipped the coin, right? And you could see the brown-eyed kids pick up their their heads. I'm amazed that they showed up the next day. Um, and 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 you would think that they would have had, you know, um, you know, based on their memory of the previous day, feel bad now for the blue-eyed people, not treat them badly. They didn't. They treated them just as badly. Oh, they man. stood in front of them in lines. And um, so we had to be really careful in what we convey to our brothers and sisters. Yeah. yeah. We think about mental illness. Be careful not to judge. Um, and... Um, and, and, and you are lo- if you are a loved one are experiencing mental illness, get educated about it and how yeah. um, I see a lot of kids who have ADHD and a lot of times it's the moms who bring them in and but the fathers say, "Oh, he's just a boy, you know, just let right. him be the boy. We do all the testing, and maybe we discover that this kid has beyond the shadow of a doubt, you know, he falls with the clinical symptoms of ADHD and may could uh, utilize um, mental health medication to help his symptoms. And, um, but the father may not be able to accept the fact that his son has something like a mental illness that would look bad on dad, you see? Yeah. And so it it does play a role in everyday life. But once you begin to educate them about, for example, ADHD, yes, it's a thing that people have. It is a neurological thing. It's a brain uh, thing. It's a biochemical thing. But it's not the end of the world. And there are some awesome things that come to folks who have ADHD that uh, others just don't have. And they are, believe me, not all bad things. They're so creative and they strike while the iron is hot, and they're right on the ball uh, in very important ways that folks who have to sit still and count beans can't can't do. And um, once you educate people about what's really going on, they only then can make really an informed decision about, you know, how to help and, and yeah. what to do. Well, I think about if if someone received a you know a cancer diagnosis. Right. They would take time to research the kind of cancer and the various oncology options that they would have. And, uh, and no one would make a joke or a passing comment about cancer. <laughs> like we don't do that. No. And yet, and yet this other intangible, invisible kind of illness right. that, uh, we'll, we'll, we have jokes about and we may not take the time to research. And then speak out of ignorance and thus perpetuate stigma. So no, those are those are great uh, recommendations. There have been I many, do. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. There have been many times where um, maybe a family does bring a child or an adolescent in. Um, they have concerns, or the teacher has said that they see concerns, 
we do a full bout of testing. By the way, testing for a psychologist includes just a, a huge family of IQ and achievement and behavioral and emotional um, uh, instruments that we use to test those things to know where somebody is. And it fits into the whole diagnostic thing. But many times where we go through that and I determine, you know, with quite a bit of evidence, you know, I only will diagnose if I'm able, literally, um, if I presume I'm going to be called to court, could I, could I justify this diagnosis with science and, and with evidence? And right. I, I might have to, unfortunately, bring the truth to a family that their child um, has autism spectrum disorder, right? Or um, has a, a level of intellectual impairment that in the old days we would call mental retardation. Now we might call that intellectually low or deficient. Yeah. Um, but uh, to sit in the room with a parent and tell them that their son or daughter, you know, is, is dealing with this is sometimes not easily held by the parent. They yeah. may actually go away only to come back a year or two later without making any accommodation um, when it is much, much worse because they, they've sort of slept on it. And, mm. um, um, and that's part of the stigma, you know? Yeah. They want to know that it's due to something outside of their child and to move that away so that they can have their normal child back. And the realities are that that isn't always the way that, that it has been designed, you know? So for you as a Christian practicing clinical psychology, um, you've already mentioned a few things that you, that you have done or seen and folks that you have treated. So I'm, I'm interested for kind of laying a foundation here to hit several things at once. Okay. Um, what are the kinds of things that you specifically see in your practice and, and done? And then how do you approach those things? as a Christian uh, practicing clinical psychology? Sure. Um, I think that um, like most sort of general psychologists, um, uh, I get a lot of referrals from uh, physicians' offices, um, schools, families, and sometimes individuals themselves, parents also. Um, a lot comes in, and I do see all ages um, from uh, I like to say the womb to the tomb. Um, <laughs> there's somebody to talk to about um, issues of all of those. The only yeah. folks that I really don't see, um, I'm not saying I don't get called about them, but um, are substance abuse and eating okay. disorders. Those yeah. two things um, are such so packed with the need for very specific knowledge base and yeah. experience and a real desire to be in that spot with them. And I just don't think that I can go there in those two things, but almost everything else I would say comes in. The, the biggies are depression, okay. anxiety. Those are the top two uh, within adults, um, but also marital and family issues um, within kids, behavioral disorders, um, you know, attentional difficulties like ADHD or potentially a learning disability, but there's many other very specific um, things as well. Obsessive compulsive disorder um, uh, of childhood or, or adulthood. Hmm. And then there are the um, things like um, adjustment 
disorders. There's a list of adjustment disorders, but it, it, it is sort of what it sounds like. It's a collective collection of symptoms um, that could include depressive symptoms, anxiety symptoms, based on adjusting, having difficulty adjusting to something that has occurred in life. Hmm. So you can imagine with the COVID-19 um, oh man! That probably all of us are going through adjustment disorder. Yeah. That um, you know those things can, um, you know, can breed depression and anxiety that can become clinical. If it is not already, I will just tell you, uh, normal, average, regular folks have anxiety and a little bit of mood disorder um, symptoms because of the COVID nineteen. Yeah. I meeting ourselves, being worried for um, friends and people we love, mm-hmm. uh, uh, looking at the news every day, which just perpetuates the constant barrage of um, negative thinking, you know, um, although there's some good positive things to focus on too. Right. But, um, um, so the people who normally don't have a problem with it now have a little bit of problem with it. And now the people um, who have had a problem with anxiety and depression. Yeah, it's magnified. It's even magnified even more. Yeah. So but, you mentioned one thing I do want to clarify that, you know, there are definitely moments where uh, in seasons of my life where I may have felt uh, deeply sad and potentially described it as depressed. Yeah. But you mentioned the uh, clinical depression right. or mm-hmm. clinical anxiety. Yeah. So how does, how do we make that, uh, distinction. Oh, good question. Um, you're, you're right. We all experience depressing thoughts and depressive or sadness. And um, technically, um, clinical depression would be if there is a form of that that persists to the point where you need uh, a, a clinical intervention or help with that. Okay. And that usually requires, you know, three, six months of, of time. Uh, longer in some people, because not everybody who go through adjustment problems uh, convert that into depression. And there's right. also people that will become depressed literally by virtue of the fact that they have a biological um, um, you know, gene within them that maybe their uh, great-grandmother was depressed, their grandmother was depressed, their their mother and their aunts are depressed. And, and so it's like, here we are, hmm. you know. Yeah. So um, we, we can have a, a biological predisposition for that type of thing as well. Um, so we look at that family history to help them to determine. Um, but also, um, if somebody has converted an adjustment issue to depression, um, a clinical depression, then they're going to likely have changes in their appetite. It could be more or less. It's not always just less. In right. Many of us eat um, emotionally, um, causes yeah. weight gain as well. Um, but also sleep. So sleep, uh, can be the same way, a little bit more, a little bit less. I know some people with clinical depression who, if allowed to, would sleep 20 hours a day. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and then some who just can't close their eyes. Uh, then there's a, a sense of, um, um, that they're helpless or hopeless. Right. Okay. The helplessness or hopelessness in a clinical depression. And of course, when we're talking about a collection of symptoms that compose a diagnosis within the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, uh, you may have a list that says 
must meet three out of the, the next five or okay. must meet five out of the next 11 things. So you don't have to have all of these. So I wouldn't want any listener to say, oh, well, I don't have problems with my appetite. Therefore, I must not be depressed. You, you don't have to have all the symptoms. Yeah. You have to have enough of them. Um, uh, you feel bad about yourself. You may lose interest in things that are normally appealing to you. You may not want intimacy. You may not want to be around people. Um, and uh, you may feel quite lonely, you know. Yeah. And uh, in extreme cases, of course, we hear about folks who um, contemplate suicide or attempt or uh, achieve suicide. So yeah. it's on uh, quite a bit of a continuum. And uh, how, how then... So, I mean, hopefully most of our folks who are listening and certainly the folks at our church who are familiar with the gospel will know that, you know, we believe that God loves and forgives and that these things are uh, a necessary part of every day being reminded of the gospel that, yes, we have sinned and broken our relationship with God and he has sent his son Jesus to do what we couldn't do to restore the relationship. And so I can see, you know, we would apply the gospel in, in a general conversation or me as a pastor meeting with somebody, I would share with them a reminder of God's love for them or their forgiveness. But how, how does your faith manifest in a, in a meeting that you would be having with someone who is clinically depressed? How, how would the gospel come to bear the same or differently in your office? You know, uh, Carl Jung, who's a famous psychiatrist and psychologist of the 20th century, um, he, he said this, and, and you associate him with being very brainy, very knowledge-based, very, hey, look at all my cases. I'm, you know, I know the truth, you know. Um, right. And um, he said this, learn your theories as well as you can, but put them aside when you touch the miracle of the living soul. That came from him. You know, mm. and haul his knowledge. And he wrote books that if you put it back to back, would go back to back, would go across the room. Um, he acknowledged even that, that, you know, our soul within us, um, um, it, it's not there to pay attention to the, the, the words in, in, in any but one book, you know. And ultimately, I see my role as a Christian faith-based clinician is, is to share and support the belief that God's love through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus, it is stronger than any problem that they could ever bring okay, to him, and that his word provides everything that they'll need uh, to solve or move through um, their worldly dilemmas. I believe that with everything that I, I have. And, and so it, it's sort of like if you're standing in an oasis and you see somebody you know, crawling out of a desert and you... Um, obviously know that they need a drink and they see a a mirage and they're moving towards the mirage, but you know, behind the rock is truly um, a pool of water. You know, would you not do what you could to tell them about that pool of water? Even when you're in the presence of them crawling towards the mirage, you know, and, you know, I have to be careful as a therapist um, to not, move in any manner that is um, against the will of my client. Um, And so I I tell them I'm a Christian. They know I'm a Christian. A lot of times they ask for a Christian therapist. And I love those situations because it gives me permission 
Yeah, yeah. But I would describe myself first as a Christian, and then a dad and a a, a, a husband, um, and and then third as a psychologist. So um, mm-hmm. those things come into me uh, as a you know as as a person in in therapy, and um, so therapists can get very particular about you know their names and what they do and what people think about it. But it really comes down to, you know, if you talk to a biblical counselor, they may basically have very, very specific, um, 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 you know, things to do, exercises to do. They may open the Bible and, and, and work with you directly with the word. And, and that's perfect. And the whole time that client knows that they are in the word and they're, working within the framework of their faith to yeah. work things in their life. It's different in uh, the type of psychotherapy that I do. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think the way that I do it is interesting. We, we usually begin the clinical mode, the more medical approach. You know, they sit down, you know, they're your client, and they come into your office, they tell you what the problem is and, and all of this. And I love to study how to do this, but at some point or another, it comes down to what they believe about their world, you see. Yeah. And, and, and not only about the world, but why they're here, what, who made them, why. They yeah. answer all these things. And, and so that's my end. We begin to talk about things that are so important. And, and, and I love, I love that those opportunities with my clients. Um, That's rooted back in the the whole anthropology thing too. Like, why are we here? Who put us here? What mm-hmm. we believe about God's creative activity yeah. uh, has direct impact on wh- what we should be doing and how we should feel about ourselves. Yeah. And I, I so firmly believe, as we talked about, that we can be forgiven for anything if we ask and truly want it. You know, um, I know that there's one sin that's not supposed to be uh, forgiven, but if if you were um, a perpetrator of that sin, you wouldn't be asking forgiveness either. Right. Anyway, <laughs> if you're going to ask for forgiveness, he, he is there. Um, yep. and, and But I have a lot of people that will ask, you know, how can God love me if he lets this happen to me? How could he take my son? How could he take my daughter? You know, right. to answer. Um, if, or or they'll, they'll use the term, my God. You know, my God wouldn't let this happen, right? Yeah, yeah. Again, they're using their own version, you know, their own intelligence um, to say, well, if God is God and he's my God, he would never let this happen. (laughs) Because they don't understand, you know, they just don't, they just don't understand. But, but, you know, Satan wants us to entertain, you know, all these possible doubts and insecurities and not embrace Christ. and. And it leads to negative thinking, you know, and that negative thinking is at the forefront of all depression and all anxiety. And I don't say that lightly. Yeah. Um, um, it's negative thinking. I mean, we, mm. we have these cognitive distortions in, in this world, you know. Um, we give ourselves these thoughts that um, if we allow them in, um, push us to have such horrible feelings, right? And then, of course, behaviors result from that. So our thoughts lead to our um, feelings, 
and both our thoughts and our feelings lead together towards our behaviors. Hmm. And somewhere before that, maybe at the top of the clock along 12 o'clock, is any of the biological uh, predestined, you know, and environmental biochemical types of things. It's yeah. in there too. And interestingly enough, that's actually a model that can be used of the clock and seeing those things that I've just mentioned. Huh. Um, but guess what's missing from, from this wonderful model? Faith. Mm. You know? what, we, what we believe and, and the truth of our faith, if, if I find that if we leave that out, it, it's, that wheel is just going to keep spinning. You know? Yeah, yeah. And so to have the opportunity to bring that into the lives of folks in a way that they can, you know, they can see it. They can see the clock. They can, they know where they are on the clock. And we talk about particular thoughts and um, how those thoughts may not be being their friend, but may actually be, um, you know, causing them such distortion in their life. Yeah. You know, it's like reading a newspaper. If you took out all the bad things in the newspaper, you'd have a few sentences. Um, <laughs> we can be like that in our life. Yeah. In, in, in uh, uh, pushing good things out, because that's what happens in depression and anxiety. We get the idea that um, things are bad. And right. those messages that we give ourselves cause further thought and further entertainment of how bad things are. Mm. And um, I, I was seeing somebody once who um, was with a man for 10 years. And matter of fact, she lived with him for 10 years. Mm. They were unwed and they had dogs and um, she wanted to be married. He said he wanted to be married. But um, so one day he comes in and he says, uh, hey, you know that marriage thing? He says, I am ready for it now. But unfortunately, it's not with you. I've met somebody else. <laughs> so, it, she, you know, the reality of, of this is that this girl comes to the reality that she's given 10 years of her life to this man outside of um, the sacrament of marriage, right? And um, all of a sudden, all the negative thoughts come into her <clears throat> like, um, I'm not good enough. Mm. Uh, nobody will love me now. Um, we'll never be happy without, without Joe, you know, and, um, and she was in the depths of despair for, for, for months. And one day she's telling me about walking her dogs and, um, she had three dogs and he not only left her, but he, he left all three dogs with her. And he's, she's talking about how, um, one of them is really big and the other one is tiny, tiny. And, but the big dog um, uh, allows the small dog to be the boss and the dog, small dog walks wherever he wants. And if the big dog is in the way, he jumps out of the way and they're walking down the road on leashes and the little dog is back and forth in both lanes. And, and the big dog is just jumping up in the air over and making anyway, well, she's telling me about that. She's laughing hysterically and she's so happy with her pets and, the, and yeah. her peace and all that. And, I noticed this for a few minutes before I said, did you notice how happy you are with your pets and how good it feels to laugh? And she clammed up and stopped laughing. And it's, it's because she wasn't ready quite yet um, to push the negative 
uh, thoughts, the distorted thinking that said, you'll never be happy without him away. Mm. And so we live by this um, protocol and these uh, sort of, um, you know, um, um, programs when we're affected by depression, anxiety. Yeah. That really clog us up. And there's all kinds of biblical things that we can talk about to help. Yeah, that's really interesting. Help help move folks away from that. So what are some things that you would do differently as a, uh, clinical psychologist providing psychotherapy that would be different from, uh, you know, what a, you've already kind of alluded to some of this, what a biblical counselor might do, and even what uh, Jamie would do as a faith-based uh, therapist mm-hmm. um, doing marriage and family counseling. Right. You know, what are what are things that you specifically, David, can do differently uh, than those folks? Well, I, I think you're right. I think we've talked about, you know, people, um, you know, come into my office, they have an idea. Of course, nowadays I'm doing things, telepsychology, you know, yeah. <laughs> I'm sitting here in the same chair that we're speaking in. I'm seeing, all, quote, seeing all my people. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, typically um, they come in and they know that they're in the presence of, you know, psychology doctor. And so there is a, a medical kind of feeling to it, even sure. though I don't give medicine to it. And, but there's a little bit of, um, an implied authority there, which um, psychologists don't like, but yet we mm. will use that a little bit if, right. if, if we can to their betterment. Um, but we go through all of the, the, the medical related things, the interview, the uh, treatment goal plans, the, and it really is designed to um, put the onus on, on them, but with our help towards working on some things. And, and I'll tell you, it really comes down to this. Um, um, in my practice, I'll, I want people to know that um, they're the person that we're focusing on. And there are many ways to bring that to bear um, using our faith and all the strengths of that to heal. But I'll tell you what I do, though. I, um, um, I, I, I inform that they're all, we're all created physical, emotional, and and behavioral and also spiritual talk about wholeness because if you talk about wholeness with anybody they get that you know they get yeah um and and we are created to seek our creator and it's evident in the earliest register of human behavior Um, I'm, i'm telling them this because i want them to know that they fit in with the rest of us that they're not and by themselves and on their own. And you'll follow where I get, how I get to this. Um, I tell them about every culture on the continent that has sought God and creator. um, And to answer all those questions that we've talked about before, like who am I? Uh, What happens when I die? You know, how am I connected to everyone else? You know, as God is revealed more and more um, to us and ultimately to, to, uh, through Jesus, his son, we have access to answers and can make choices. Ultimately, you know, when people say, um, well, does God speak to you? Well, if you have a Bible in your hand, um, then you know the answer to that, and you're holding it, right? God speaks to us, and if you read the Bible, um, the answers to your questions are, are, are going to become, they're going to come to you. Um, but here's the thing. We live in the fallen world, um, and sin is real and it's reaching and it has uh, a real effect on our life. 
and and we have imperfection due to that fall of the original sin of man. And in our genetic structure, we have defects, built-in fails, concerns, we have decay, war, long list of human frailties that ultimately and in you know physiological, you know, we we die. Yeah. Um, and along the way, and this is related to the thoughts, along the way we develop sort of you know kinship with mankind that takes on the walk of what we call the hero's journey, right? Yeah, um, I love the hero journey stuff. The Joseph Campbell, Joseph Campbell, right? Great yeah. mythologist in the world wrote about this. He has several good, great books. Um, um, uh, the hero with a thousand faces is one yep. of his biggest ones. Um, but you know, the, and this is not the same as a superhero for listeners, um, right? But we are uh, at the zenith of our own experience of life. And the story of our life is played out in our body and in our mind and our spirit is with it. And this hero's journey is rather a helpful trail. You know, um, it's a trail map of the realm of human experiences that we can engage in um, as we quest um, uh, life. We're, we're not born with a clean slate. This hero's journey is evident in any good story. Uh, you know, it's evidenced in, you know, Iron John, one of the oldest stories, a Gilgamesh, yeah. Wizard of Oz, um, and David, one of your favorite Star Wars. Yep. Any great story is the hero's journey. And I, I like to talk about it with my clients because I want them to know that as far as we're concerned in therapy, they're the hero, right? So the quest to understand ourselves in the union with the world, our planet, with each other, and ultimately with our God is a fundamental quest of our life. Yeah. And on that hero's path, we encounter crisis. We have to answer, quote, the call to undertake the great journey. Uh, then we find ourselves in the presence of, you know, the definition of a problem. Chaos and confusion is there. You know, um, we have great obstacles, trials, tribulations that, you know, bring great challenges to our mortality and our morality and our soul. And we develop ways and patterns of thinking, feeling, and behaving along with a way that is also influenced by our genetics, our heredity, and by our environment. Mm. And in this huge dance with all this, um, we develop symptoms of experiences that we come to describe as problematic or, you know, it rises to the description of a mental illness right. or the diagnosis with it, which, huh. again, by the way, we have twice as many as we did 75 years ago. Right, right. It's just an eye blink of human history. But in my professional relationship with my client as a psychologist, I approach everyone as if I'm on a quest with them to see, you know, where they are relative to their own hero's journey, yeah. in mind, body, and in their spirit. And our discussion must include their beliefs. Yeah. And um, we all accumulate those beliefs in our world. And then here's the thing. We come to trust them as if they are true and real just because we believe. Them. And we depend on that perspective to guide and judge all of our uh, acts and our behaviors. And in the middle of that, Sometimes we might have 80% of them are distorted. Yeah. And so I remind them of hope and forgiveness and walk with them as they move through their journey. Um, and 
you know. So in, in some ways, you're the Gandalf or the Obi Wan Kenobi of their journey. <laughs> or or the Good Witch, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and on the sideline, you know, and 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 there, um, it, it's up to them. We all have to make choices in our in our yeah. world. And I do believe that we make a choice to be depressed and to be anxious. Um, I'm not saying that it's easy to arrive at that. And I know that that would be insulting to some who believe that they're um, a, a total victim to those symptoms. But total victims to symptoms don't get better, in yeah. my experience, uh, if you help to empower them. And yep. what better way to empower them is to point uh, point to God, you know? Yeah. So uh, as we wrap up, you know, we, we have to acknowledge the moment that we're in. The fact that we had to meet via Zoom as opposed to meeting in person. Oh, yeah. uh, the fact that our churches have not met uh, for s- almost six weeks now. Like, yeah. what what has it been like as, as a clinical psychologist uh, caring for folks during this moment? And what parting words would you have for folks listening to the podcast um, to, uh, to stand strong through this COVID-19 pandemic? Well, you know, it's hit us all, and it hit us all very quickly. And when something big and abrupt hits, it's, you know, just like a storm, you know, back before we had the radar, you know, um, it hits us, and we we, we strive to understand. And uh, my fear is that when people see this as, um, um, well, they see it as a sign that it's very temporary, and they're just going to, wait it out and return back to normal instead of using the opportunity that it gives us to, you know, to really not let it be just temporary, but let it change us in some manner Mm -hmm. and to better us. You know, we, um, we get so busy in our relationships and school and our jobs, media, the music and all that. Um, Our need for social distancing has knocked us to the ground on that. And my opinion is while we're on the ground, we might as well get on our knees, right? Mm. Um, because um, God places us there sometimes, and but he's with us. You yeah. know, it's just like when he was in the boat, and, um, and he's among the apostles, and they're fishing, and he says, hey, go over there to the other side. And they did. And by, by George, he got them into the worst storm they'd ever been into. Yeah. You know, um, they thought that they were going to perish. And they look back, and Jesus is there with them, sleeping, right? Yeah. And it's the only place in the Bible where it talks about him sleeping. And uh, my, my, my point of that is that God is with us through all this, all right? Um, our salvation will come one day. And after that, there will be none of this. But we live in this world. We're going to encounter many things. Um, we have to have faith. We have to be together. Uh, we have to remember that none of this touches our salvation. Yeah. It's the strongest thing, most important thing that we have in our life. It's normal to be worried, but this is not a precursor for our salvation. So do what you can um, to be comfort, um, but peace isn't going to come from things that we derive in this world, right? It's going to come from God and our faith. And so take this time to read the Bible, be with each other through spiritual endeavors and um, be reflective on your life. This is going to pass, right? But uh, come out of this um, 
more than with more than you went into it. It's an opportunity to do that. And we'll be okay. We'll be okay. That's a great word. Thank you so much for taking time to walk us through some of these really interesting issues, these deep issues, these things that impact so many people around us that uh, we may not even be aware of. Mm-hmm. And so let us indeed endeavor to, to remove stigma, to continue the conversation, to be educated about these things mm-hmm. so that we can speak with wisdom and compassion uh, for anybody around us who may be struggling. Uh, so thank you so much for your time. It's my pleasure. And uh, I hope that you'll bring me on sometime soon. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Grace Matters podcast. I really enjoyed following up with David, and there's definitely more to tease out, more stories he could tell, more interesting insights he might have. So I definitely will take him up on that offer to bring him back on, especially as we thought more about the potential implications of the quarantine. One of the things that's very interesting about this quarantine is our increased use of technology. Ironically, the next scheduled Grace Matters panel discussion is on technology and the family. We'll be hosting that in some form next week, April 29th. Be on the lookout for a Zoom invitation, or at the very least, we'll be sharing that audio via podcast as soon as we wrap it up. If you have any questions that you would like for us to answer in the course of that panel, please be in touch via Grace Matters at graceccnc.org. We look forward to having that conversation and the follow-up podcasts that we'll have after that. You've been listening to Grace Matters, conversations establishing believers in the truth.